Welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I'm a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads. We currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV. In fact, my portion of this podcast is being recorded from the passenger seat of my mobile office. So uh, one quick thing before we get to our guests, make sure that you listen to the end of the podcast. We will include ways that you can continue this conversation as after after we uh, after we complete it. We want you to connect with us. And so stay to the end. We'll tell you how you can go about doing that today. We have Marco Robert as our guest, and he's a new connection for me, and I'm excited to speak with him. He is an international speaker, influencer, rapid turnarounds, and M&A expert, a Silicon Valley VC, and a global management consultant, plus much, much more. Marco, welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Thank you so much. Yes. Now, currently, I know you operate out of the Bay Area, but tell us where you are currently. So my business is in the Bay Area, but I actually live personally. I live I'm basically between my summer house in Canada and my winter place in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay, very good. And, and we're recording this uh, in spring of 2020. Are you safe and well and healthy? Everything's well with you? Absolutely. We're very blessed, actually. My, uh, my fiance is a psychologist, so she gets to work from home. I usually travel a lot, so I'm usually on speaking, ter- I'm speaking tours. But right now, because of all of the events have been canceled because of this pandemic that we're in right now. Um, so I'm at home. Very safe. I was supposed to be at my lake house in Canada, but because most of the flights have been canceled, I'm just at home in Arizona and just enjoying the beautiful weather. So that... That situation is a blessing to us because that's why we get to speak today, correct? That's correct. Excellent, yeah. excellent. All right, first question I like to ask people. We give uh, the bio and, uh, and and all the glowing information, but just give me your elevator pitch. I know I know in the world you're in, you probably have one. So what do you do? Just tell our, tell our listeners real quick, what do you do? You see, this is what I always tell people. Most business experts out there actually have a very tunnel vision when it comes to business. If you ask your accountant about business, they're gonna tell you that you probably have a profit problem. If you ask a sales expert, they're gonna tell you that you need to improve on your revenue. If you ask a leadership expert, they're gonna say, you need your team to be more productive. Now, in reality, I believe that every business has one core problem. How do we identify that problem? Well, 20 years ago, I created a model that it's a, it's a decision matrix that allows me and my clients to very quickly hone in or zone in and understand exactly what is the core issue of that business. Then we fix it, then we fix the next one. And uh, because of this methodology, a lot of my clients now dub me the world's fastest business turnaround expert. (laughs) I've literally turned around businesses in as few as like 15 minutes where other consultants were not able to do it in months of work. So, 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 you know, so there's a term, there's a word that popped in my head. You tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. There's a term called a fixer. And that's like a specialist that comes in laser focused and fixes. Are you a fixer? <laughs> this is the first time I hear it. Okay. I mean, to me, a fixer is that guy in Vegas that you're trying to avoid, you know? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's actually, you know, I think I, it's in, I think it's in gangster circles, which may not be a yeah, good reference, but it's kind of exactly. the guy that if things go horribly wrong, they bring in the guy that, that is 
peaceful, he's calm, he, he can see things that others can't see, and he can laser, like, fix it quick. Is that you? Yeah, that's exactly who I am. That's exactly <laughs> who I am. I'm, uh, you know, in order to be able to do what I do, whether I do it within my VC firm, whether I do it when I'm on stage, whether I do it as a consultant, a trainer, a board advisor, whether I do it by coaching executives, at the end of the day, you have to deal with a lot of, you have to juggle with a lot of balls at the same time. Probably the most important one is this idea of psychology. I, you, you almost have to be a psychologist in order to do what I do. Um, a lot of the issues that I face, when a business owner or when a business gets into trouble, the first thing that gets mostly affected is the mindset of the, of the individual. So hmm. I'm kind of a cross between, one of, my, one of my friends actually wrote my bio on my website. And he said, Marco is a cross between Tony Robbins, James Bond, and my favorite university professor in psychology. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I am. Well, good. Well, what we may do later as we wrap up the podcast is I want to talk to you more about that and maybe even get you to diagnose some, some business things that you've seen, because I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners on our listener that are listening to the podcast. But, but one thing that I really feel compelled to do right now, as I mentioned earlier, we're recording this in springish of 2020. We've got a lot of interesting things going on in the world, uh, economic situations. And I'm asking people that have a, a, a real breadth of business background, especially in the, in the world you're in, just to kind of give us a pulse on some of the things you're seeing. I'm not, well, maybe I'll ask for some predictions because, you know, there's a lot of indicators that are just really going bonkers right now. And so I would love to just get your thoughts. And again, hopefully by the time this airs, uh, you know, into the summer, things are great. You know, things could be better, worse. I, we don't, we don't really know, but give us your thoughts. I'd just love to hear your take on some of the things we're seeing and, and maybe help some people navigate through it. Hey, you know, at this moment, if you're listening to the, the pundits out there, you know, what you're saying is that this guy is a hero. That guy is a zero, right? So people think that everybody seems to have an opinion. And what I tell my clients right now is that this is the truth. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, right? Uh, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the fact that if you look what we're doing here in America, you know, how our leaders are reacting. Look at how leaders are reacting in other countries. Everybody is actually trying to figure this out. So what I always tell people in this sense is we just have, let's, let's walk away from all these conspiracy theories. Whether they're true or not, whether they are true or not, what are we going to do about it? Right now, what we have to do is we have to trust our leaders. Whether you, whether you voted for those people or whether you didn't vote for those people, you have to empower the leaders. So to me, the biggest complaint that I have right now is about the media because I feel like the media is just tearing us apart. And I didn't like it before. Now I'm kind of, I think it's almost, it's becoming almost like, like, like stupid for, for the media to actually do this. In this time, I mean, we're facing a global crisis. I think the media, it's, I think they should put aside the politics right now and they should say, you know what, let's, let's help sustain the world. This is what I tell people. I say, if, if the world has, has elevated you in a position of power, if you are an influencer, you owe it to the world in times like these to actually, you know, you, you know, if you go to battle, there's always somebody holding the flag. And even if the guy gets hit in the arm or in the, in the leg, you know, he needs to hold the flag because once the flag falls, I mean, it's the end of the battle. We've lost yeah. the battle. 
It's chaos, and I think right? It's <laughs> it becomes chaos. chaos. So, yeah. And I think we people who have been elevated to a position of, of leadership, position of influence by society, we owe it to the world right now to hold the flag up. So the media, the, the influencers, the business leaders, the, the thought leaders, that's our job right now. And our job is not to, to say, you know what, this guy is doing a bad job. No, our job is to all be together and trying to solve this. So what's my prediction? My prediction is that um, people, pe some people are going to be really angry when all of this is done. They're going to be, they're going to say like, you know, you've lied to us. You know, I think some, some of the leaders out there have been lying because they're, they're still playing that political game. They're still playing that me, me, me game. I just want to get elected. I just want to make sure that, that you see me in the right angle. And uh, I think that's kind of despicable actually at this time that people are still doing that. So. Yeah. And, and, and I know you do a lot of work with leaders and businesses. So I, I actually may tie those together here shortly, but I'm seeing the same things. And one of the things, and, you know, we see it in social and we see it's going on. There's just a lot of people, listen, there is no roadmap for what we're facing. And, and listen, if, if you and I were in charge, that actually might be kind of fun, by the way, but if you and I were in charge, we may be doing things differently, communicating differently, but it is very, I think it's very negligent to be critical of anyone now because we have no roadmap. But but there are a few givens that we have, and that is we've shut down economies for a season. Some are starting to reopen. They're not going to be full force. So 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 with companies you're working with right now, and you know, you could give as much or as little detail as you like, and and you're you're kind of a crisis guy. You know, you come in when there's crisis. What are, what are you telling them right now, Marco? Yeah. yeah. So the first thing I tell them is communication, right? Mm. Because it's so easy right now to, 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 to say, you know what, I'm just going to hide in a corner and wait for this to pass. I'm going to, because I've been on the receiving end of crisis as well, right? And I'm going to tell you how it works. When you're on the receiving end, if, I, if I'm actually about to, if I'm going through the cash flow of a business, and we're trying to decide, okay, we only have $15,000 next month, next, next week to pay the bills, but there's $30,000 of bills to be paid. So there's bills that we're not going to pay. How do we pick the bills that we pay and the bills that we don't pay? Well, it's the people that have been in communication with us, right? If, if, if I go to my client and I say, you know, that bill, that $3,500 bill, we're not going to pay it. And he comes back to me and he says, hey, we cannot not pay that bill. You know, Charlie, the owner of that company, I play golf with him every Thursday. His wife goes to church with, with my wife. I mean, we, when, when there's a bond between a company, then the bills have to be paid. And, and I, that's why I say communication is so important because it's, it's one of the most important elements to create this, this bond, this trust, this affinity. So in times like these, I tell my clients, make sure that, ever, that you're more transparent than ever with your with your with your teammates, with your vendors, and also with, uh, uh, with your customers. So those are the three components of the people you need to communicate and be very, very transparent. If you don't think you're gonna be able to make a payment in two weeks or three weeks, let the client know right now. Don't wait three days after they haven't received the check to tell them, you know what, that's gonna be disastrous, number one. Number two, well, on, 
if you haven't done it already and you're watching this show, you need to cut your expenses. I mean, you need to go bare bone right now, right? That's, that's, the mo that's one of the most important things. I think at this point, because we're several weeks into this crisis, most people have done that. But the best way, when I walk inside of a company, literally almost overnight, if it's a crisis, I can get rid of about 30% of expenses literally overnight. How? Well, we print out the last P&L, the last profit and loss statement or income statement if you live in, in England or other parts of the world. We print it out, a detailed version of it, and then we look at every line item. And then we, we basically review every line item. We say, okay, traditionally we spend $538 per month in this, in this account. How much are we going to spend next month? right? Oh, zero. Okay. So let's get rid of this one. And it's called zero base budgeting, right? And then we, we, we redo an entire budget based on a line item, line by line item. It takes half a day to, to use sometimes a full day to do this. And then every line, we ask ourselves some questions and we make some critical decisions. What are we going to do in the light of what's happening right now? Okay. Number three, cash, right? So number one, communication, number two, cut, 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 number three, cash. You have to be on a foundation of cash right now. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long this is going to last. This is not the time for you to, to do any frivolous uh, expense. It's not the time for you to upgrade your, the chair in your, in your office, even though it's on sale right now. Everybody's going to try to get your cash right now because there's a lot of people hurting out there. Like if you're watching this on Facebook, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, Tim, but uh, Facebook viewership has gone down quite a bit because everybody's doing lives, right? You know, a month ago, it was just you and me doing lives. Now, everybody and their grandmothers is doing live. Why? Because they're struggling. They're trying to figure out, hey, you know what? They're reaching. So as a business owner, you have to learn to discern, you know, who are you going to be listening to? I'm not saying that the guy who didn't do a live last month is not a good person. And I'm not saying that he's not an expert. But from your perspective as a business owner, you have to learn to discern. You have to discern between somebody who's just reaching out because they need cash right now and someone who's actually, who has the track record to help you in whatever aspect, right? Somebody might be selling furniture at a discount right now, but it might be crappy furniture. You wouldn't yeah. have bought it last month. Maybe you shouldn't buy it right now. Yeah. Right? And you know, one thing related to that, that's, that's real powerful that I was thinking, as you were saying all those things, I was taking notes myself. So I recommend people that are able to, as they listen to either the podcast or on Facebook, take some notes here because you've got a, a lot of wisdom is, is that what you were saying is valuable at any time. Number one, regardless of when people are listening to this. And number two, we have a, I'm actually going to try to expand this out with our listeners. What you said is valuable for people that don't own a business or company that, that are just in individuals, Marco, that was powerful communication, cut expenses and be cash heavy. Right. I mean, that's a great message for anyone right now. So I wanted to, I wanted to bring people in that might be, you know, kind of waning like, Oh, he's just going to talk about business owners, which we have a lot of those, but, but for, for just, you know, the person that's sitting there, maybe even at home right now, wondering what to do. That was awesome advice that you just gave. And I, I, I really, really appreciate that. And, and if that I last... expand on that, if I go, expand on that, go. Right? here's the, like this idea of keeping cash. You know, everybody right now is going to want you to invest in the stock market. There's 
all, you know, your broker is going to call you and say, man, this, everything is discounted. This is the time to buy. And cause I know cause they're calling me and this is what I tell yeah. people. I say, you know what? Now, if you're not a sophisticated investor already, it doesn't matter how well it looks right now. It's not for you to keep your cash. You know, uh, about six weeks ago, Warren Buffett said, oh my God, everything is discounted. I'm buying everything. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but he bought a lot and he lost a lot, right? And, but the problem is that Buffett can actually afford to lose a couple hundred million dollars. Most people watching this, they can't afford to lose a hundred thousand dollars. So you have to be careful. You know, that's what I say. I'm such a big, I'm so fond of this idea of learning to discern, learn to discern, you know, put yourself outside of this scenario a little bit. Will there be a time when everything, when we should actually go back and, and uh, invest our cash? Absolutely. And that's why you should be very liquid right now. When, you know, historically, here's what's going to happen, right? Right now, we reach the summit and then we're starting to trend down. People are still optimistic. People think, oh my God, everything's going to be all right. So you see people taking advantage of the market. There's ups and downs, ebbs and flows in the market. And people are taking advantage of that. The sophisticated people. Yeah. Most people are still pretty optimistic. And then it's going to keep on going down. And in a few months, we're going to hit the point where people are saying, oh my God, I should go throw myself at the end of a bridge, right? <laughs> like mentally speaking, people are going to, like society is going to start freaking out. Well, that, we know that at that moment is the bottom, right? It's, uh, I don't remember the term in economic S-curve uh, terminology, but there is a term. And then once we hit that bottom, once it's despair. I think it's called despair. You know, people think there's no... There's no outcome, no possible. We're never going to get out of that. Well, that's when you need to start looking for deals because within a few months, things are going to start cup, cupping, coming back up. So, yeah, and, and, and a great example you gave there, I want to kind of drill down on it just a little bit more. You mentioned the example of this is not the time to buy your office chair. So, so I think that's one that business people and individuals can relate to. If you've got $100 sitting there in cash and there is a $90 chair that's $90 today, tell us what that chair is going to be when it gets to that bottom of the trough. How much is it going to cost then? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and maybe the, I don't know if the chair is the best analogy for this, but one analogy is cash flow, for example, right? If you remember in the last, in the last uh, debacle that we had about 10 years ago, the same, let's say $100,000 of net operating cash flow in a business. You know, let's say you, you, you take a specific industry, uh, manufacturing, okay? And you take every $100,000 of manufacturing net cash flow was worth, let's say before the crisis, $500,000, right? So five to one ratio, a PE ratio of five to one with small and medium-sized companies. Well, after the, during the crisis, we reached a point where you could buy that same $100,000 of cash flow for about $150,000. And that the same thing is going to happen, right? So we, we are gearing up. Okay, we're sitting on cash and we're going to buy. We're going to buy, buy, buy. First of all, it's going to benefit me. You know, I'm a capitalist investor. So obviously, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play my own game. But number two, there are very few people out there who can actually buy businesses and turn them around. And that's what we do. So I'll be able to turn around those businesses. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to retain all the jobs, but let's say I buy a business that has 70 employees and another business that has 20 employees. Well, together we might be able to keep maybe 50 or 60 jobs. So we'll be able to save a lot of businesses. And I think a lot of businesses will need to be saved um, in order to actually re 
uh, reboost, re relaunch that economy. So we're getting ready for that. We, I just set up a fund. Um, we set up a, I, I brought in a new partner from Australia. We're setting up a fund and then we're going to be uh, leveraging capitals, investing, you know, raising capital in order to invest in small and medium sized businesses after the debacle. Yeah, that's that's good. And that was actually that leads really into a next question. I want to start uh, I want to start educating some people that are listening about some 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 terms that they may not be familiar with. And I think you're a great one to do that in your bio. You've got terms like M&A, you've got VC. And I'm going to ask you to do something that you may not have to do very often. or Maybe you do, but I'm going to ask you to to educate a, a third grader about what maybe not third grader if you want to go to a fifth grader whatever whatever you'd like to do i'd really like for you to make it simple because a lot of people hear terms vc m a it's thrown around and 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 there's a lot of people middle america we've got a lot of listeners middle america that they go okay I'm, that, that's a, sometimes challenging but can you really give us a 101 on uh m a and and vc the differences how they relate and maybe also peel back a little bit when you say i'm creating a fund and we're about to be investing in buying companies yeah yeah so i'm going to tell you the story okay in 2016 i teamed up with two partners uh one is an international business strategist and another one is a uh, a business broker and we wanted to leverage our own connections to actually help businesses uh, have access to funds, right? So we thought, okay, where, what are the connections? Well, we have our own money that we can invest. We know other VC firms that can actually invest. We, uh, we know a lot of angel investors, you know, doctors, lawyers who actually are looking to invest. Um, and then we, we, we have a slew of banking and loan officer connections of people who can actually lend you money. So we actually decided we're, we're gonna start doing events. Right? We're gonna do three or four events per year and then we're going to bring people, we're going to travel around the country, right? And we'll do events. And then we thought, we're going to bring Silicon Valley to you, right? That's the way we were thinking. And then we organized our first event. It went really well. It was in Los Angeles in 2016. Yeah, 2016, the spring of 2016. And it went really well. We had about 125 people and then everybody was looking for capital. And then we, we basically focused them. We were looking, how do we call ourselves, right? Yeah. So that's how we came up with this idea of, of uh, venture capitalists. Now, the true definition of venture capitalists, most venture capitalist firms will usually start with their own money, but then eventually they will have a fund. And then it's a highly regulated uh, industry where they invest other people's funds, right? So because of that, because they usually invest other people's money, uh, venture capitalists have to go through a very high level of due diligence, right? So before they invest, the funds money, they have to go through a high level of due diligence. That, that means that they have to spend a lot of money to understand if they can invest with you or not. So if you're looking for hundred thousand dollars, you should not approach a VC because VCs, the traditional VCs, we're not traditional VCs, but the traditional VCs are interested in like, you know, in, when the economy is really booming right now and they, there's nowhere to invest, they, they like to invest maybe a million dollars, but traditionally it's more like $2 million or more. Now they're looking to invest at least $2 million because the cost of making an investment is so high. It makes no sense for them to invest less than that. Right. Okay. Angel investors are usually your sophisticated and accredited uh, neighbors, the doctor, the lawyer, the engineer, and uh, they usually invest 10, 15, $50,000. Um, they're a lot more lax with their requirements. 
uh, because their due diligence process is is a lot less. Now, in between the two, you have organized angel investors, right? There's groups of organized angel investors mm-hmm. that basically go through a process of due diligence for their angel investors. And they say, okay, we've analyzed this business. We love this business. We think we should invest in this business. And the minimum investment is 50,000. Who's in? Right? And then they, the angel investors come in and they, they trust their partners. That, so that's the, that's the other way. Now, um, mergers and acquisitions, Mergers and acquisitions is simply a process of buying businesses, right? You need to understand this. When we buy businesses, there's four ways. There's four major financial mechanisms that we can use. Number one, we can use our own cash. Number two, we can use our own credit. Number three, we use other people's money. That's why we're building this fund. And number four, what a lot of people don't understand is within a company, there are levers, there's financial levers that you can actually pull to actually acquire that company. You know, you can actually use the company's credit assets, credit history funds uh, to actually buy the company. So mergers, M&A or mergers and acquisitions is the science of how do you actually acquire businesses using these four, uh, these four levers. That's basically what it is. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. So with with saying all of that and with what you and and your team and the people you're working with are are doing right now, what are I don't even know if the term is industries. I don't even know if it's lines of business. What 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 are some types of businesses in in the environment that we're in? that you guys are, and some of this you may not be able to tell us, so I know you'll, you'll say what you can and can't say, but, but I'm kind of digging for info here if you can't tell. What are you guys looking at? What are you seeing as the future of things that you may want to participate in? And be as general or specific as you can be. Yeah. So I'm going to be very honest with you. So I'm not going to tell you exactly. I mean, we've, this is something that we're, it's ongoing right now. It's ongoing yeah, yeah, conversations, yeah. right? Yes. Where are we going to focus after this crisis? But I'm going to tell you that in general, it's going to be services okay, right now. We believe that there are services right now that um, are, going to be, are going to be very well positioned after this. So we, our, most of our focus is going to be on services, okay? Number one. Historically, what we liked was a blue-collar company. Okay, and I'll tell you why blue-collar companies. Because most plumbing companies, most construction company, electrical company, roofing company, they're usually started by people who are really good at roofing or plumbing or electricity, right? So these guys are, are very good technically. Now, they, they, miss, they miss something critical to, to the success of this. There's three major areas of of skill sets that you need to possess to make a business successful. That technical skill set is very important, right? But number two, you need business skills. And a lot of these guys who, the guy who's very good at plumbing, he usually, they, they lack in the aspects of business skills, right? So he's able to maintain his business and he can, he can run a business usually to up to maybe two or $3 million. Then there's just too many balls to juggle, right? So one of the reasons why we like that is because we can step in and very, very quickly streamline the business, systemize everything, put a general manager in place, and then we can, we can either 
just milk that business and continue operating this business for a long time, or we just can, we can turn around and resell this business for a quick profit, right? This is because they don't have the business skill. They don't know how to do this, right? And the challenge is this, this, this is the, this is the, for the viewers who might be interested in this industry, this is going to be a massive wave. We're on the, we're literally at the cusp of the biggest transfer of wealth in human history. That's about to happen right now. And that transfer as well of wealth is mostly driven by the fact that baby boomers, which has been the biggest generation in America ever, right? We, in, today in America, 26% of people living in America are baby boomers. They're between the age of 54, yeah, 40, yeah, 54 and 74, 70, yeah, 50. So they were born in 40, 46 to 64. So they're between the age of, of 74 and 56, okay? Something like that. So these people, they're either, they need to retire right now or they're going to need to retire in the next 10, 12 years, okay? So the next 10 or 12 years are, there's gonna be a massive, massive transfer of wealth because a lot of the baby boomers, if you understand them, they, they were very independent people. You understand like the baby boomers, many, many baby boomers were actual, um, Maybe made they were uh, the, you know the movement the hippie movement that liberation movement that came from the baby boomers they're very independent people so many of them went in business for themselves so now they have to sell their businesses but who's going to buy the business you have a business that's worth let's say two million dollars or one point five million dollars who's going to buy that well their employees who can actually operate the business technically don't have the money to buy the business and. The people who actually have the money don't have the skills to operate the business. So it creates this massive vacuum. Um, experts are saying that about, it's a $10 trillion vacuum, $10 trillion of wealth that needs to be transferred, and there's really no plan. So the SBA is very aware that you know, the federal government, the Small Business Administration, is extremely aware of that. There's tons and tons of incentives for people to buy businesses, but beyond the incentives, you need to know what you're doing. You know, <laughs> otherwise, what are you going to do? So, so that's where we show up. You know, we 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 believe that this is going to be the best time for us because we are business experts. We are turnaround experts. So for us to go in inside of a business and and put management and streamline the business, that's what we do. So. Yeah. I'm at the tail end. I'm at the tail end of that baby boom. We were talking before we pushed record about our ages and and right now I'm a I'm a 63, 64 baby, so I'm at the end of that and one of the words that popped to mind and tell me if this is correct is you help people with the exit. You help them exit out of what they're doing. Is that correct? I wrote that down when you were going through some of the skill sets because many people in those skills and we've got, we've got clients that we work with there too, maybe not at the, the levels that you guys are at, but we have people that work and they get to the place where they built a successful business and, and you and I know we want to applaud them because that that's incredible to be able to build a business that that has you know a number of employees that you're helping them and their families and and your family's successful but then you look around and go okay i'm 50 60 older how do i stop how do i get out is that correct you're you're really helping them exit out absolutely absolutely let me give you an example tim okay do you think it's, this is a question I ask people all the time in podcasts 
or radio shows that I do. I said, do you think it's possible for a business to do, to do a million dollars a year and to have $200,000 in profit and to be worth X, right? And the other bit, another business right across the street that was started at the same time in the same industry also does a million dollars a year and has $200,000 in profit, but it's worth 3X. Is it possible? And people are like, uh, I guess. See, that's a very important, that's a weird question, right? There are two very, very similar businesses. Is it possible that the, the same $200,000 in the same industry could be worth a lot more than the other one? Yes. Like, let me give you one example, okay? There's many examples. I could give you probably 25. There's a lot of factors that affect the value of a business. But one could be this, right? Imagine that business A is managed by the owner and the founder. And business B is managed by a manager and the guy lives on the beach in, 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 in South Beach, Florida, right? Do you think, do you think, let me ask you this, do you think it's possible that this one is worth a little bit more than this one? And the answer is yes, because, because this one will have to sell to somebody who actually wants to, wants to work. This one will sell to an investor. Investors are always willing to pay a little bit more for the business. So just understand this, just understand this simple arbitrage, very simple, right? Between these two businesses. So what we do is we buy these businesses and we turn them into these businesses. That's it. Without even improving the, 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 the net operating profit, even if I don't improve the net operating profit or what's, what's called EBITDA, right? Earnings before interest and taxes mm -hmm. and, and amortization. Even if I don't improve the bottom line of the business, I can resell the business for more money just because I streamlined the business. Yeah. Yeah. What are the, what are the items that you notice, Marco? You know, it's different, I'm sure in every situation, but in what I do, I'm, I'm a business coach. I work with some smaller businesses, some actually good sized companies and, and even larger, but, but there, there does begin, we, we start seeing low hanging fruit that seems to exist in many organizations. Do you notice similar? And if so, what are some of the things that you see over and over and over again? I'm actually, I'm asking, asking you to give away your secrets. <laughs> what are the things that you see that you guys come in? But that's okay though, because I know that, that you're, you're not a, you know, a hoarder, you believe in abundance. And so you're willing to share, but what are some things that you see over and over again that people, they need to work on to, uh, to up their game? So you're going to love what I'm going to tell you, okay? I used to never share this with people. <laughs> so is this business, a secret? Are we getting a secret? Are you giving our listeners a secret? Pretty much. Pretty Ooh. much. I mean, for years, I never, saw, I never shared this with people. And now I, I've been sharing it a little bit. Business, businesses unfold on a gradient scale. Okay? They, there's, a, there's a process. There's a sequence of how businesses unfold. You can literally say there's seven Set, there's seven steps in the sequence or seven gradients in the sequence of business. Okay? So they're all at a different level. The first level, the foundation of the business is the business owner himself. Do we have the right person managing this business? If we don't, nothing else is going to work. Okay? So that's the, first, that's the first gradient. And that's very, 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 very common. 
One of the reasons I show up in a business and the business is not thriving, and then we start analyzing the business and we realize the reason why the business is not thriving is because we do not have the right kind of person. So what I did years and years ago is I profiled that person. Who's that guy who makes the business successful, right? And then it's very easy now for me to actually go inside of a business and, and educate. And then they're like, oh my God, all I have to be is a little bit more like this, yeah. And then most people click and then it's like, boom. Complete change. I mean, I have literally exploded businesses simply by explaining to business people how they need to be, who they need to be in order to run a successful business, okay? Number one. Number two, and, and that's why we need a certain kind of person because business, the essence of business is an exchange of value for value. So one of the first things that needs to happen is you need to be able to bring massive value to the marketplace, right? So this idea of innovating and creating value. Well, it sounds very simple. It's one of the hardest things to do. Most businesses out there, they're simply copying the competition, right? They started a business, they're basically copying the competition. Well, you could do that in the 1970s because there was no competition. There was like three guys. You know, you wanted to, you wanted to do whatever. It's like, okay, it's me and these three guys. So you, you split the business between three. But now in any industry, it's you and 300 people. So if you copy the competition, you're not giving the market a good reason to actually come to you, right? They're like, so now what people do is they revert to schemey marketing tricks to try to lie to the markets to say, you know what, because they need to make money. That doesn't work long-term, right? That the, to become a, you know, the, the, sli the slimy car salesman of, of your industry is not gonna learn, work long-term. So what you have to do is you have to go back to drawing boards and bring more value to the market. It's very, very important. Most people don't know how to do. We have developed methods to bring massive, massive value. Okay. Number three, then you have to leverage that value and create revenue. There's a lot of models in sales, marketing, promotion, branding, um, revenue generation, growth. Okay. There's a lot of models that you can apply to actually generate massive revenue. Okay. So that's step number three. So sometimes my clients are stuck at step, of, step number three. Sometimes they're stuck at step number one. Now, Growing revenue, you're going to hit a glass ceiling at some point because you're going to, you're going to get a, a point, to a point where by yourself, you can't grow anymore. And usually in small, medium-sized businesses, that point is around $2 million, okay? Depending on the industry, it could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less, depending on who runs the business. But $2 million is a good, it's a good uh, approximation. Why? Because you get to a point where you can't juggle seven balls. Anybody can learn to juggle two balls, maybe three balls, you know, if you practice, maybe four balls. But then when you get to six or seven balls, you need to expand. You're going to need to grow. So that's the, at that level, what the business needs is leadership. So that person, the original person who was running the business, that profile that I created. So, you know, the original business owner had to transform himself into what I call an outlier entrepreneur. That's the profile. I call it an outlier entrepreneur. Well, at that point, now the outlier entrepreneur has to transform himself or herself into a leader where they can actually bring in and lead the troops so they can continue growing the business. So some businesses are stuck there, right? They can't grow. They're like, man, I can see more. I can, it's like the glass ceiling. I can see there's more, but for whatever reason, I can't, I can't figure out how to do it because you're not a leader yet, okay? So we're going to have to bring leadership skills and so on and so forth. The next level after that is this idea of profitability. 
Now, you might be a good leader. You're going to bring a lot of people. But with more people comes more problems, more problems, more expenses. And now you're going to get into a point where when you ran your own business by yourself, you know, maybe you took it to a million dollars a year and you were putting, you know, $500,000 in your pocket. Now you do $3 million a year, you have 15 people working for you, and then you put only $100,000 in your pocket, right? And, yeah, you're a lot working, of business owners, and you're working twice as hard. You're like, you're, you're, working you're putting twice in as 80 hard. hours a week, and it's, yeah, yep. that's, that is extremely common in the Very business Very common, world. you know that. So yeah. what are we going to do now? So now we're going to have to go look into cost control, expense control, you know, how do we improve the profitability of a business, okay? Then the next step after that is, is cash flow. So, because a, a lot of business people don't even understand the difference between profit and cash flow. There's a massive, massive difference between the two, as you know. So you get to a point now where you might have the profits, but you may not have the cash flow because your cash is going into the, the wrong accounts. So now you need to learn how to manage cash. If you haven't learned that before, now you absolutely need to learn cash flow. And then the last step is this idea of, of uh, capitalizing on equity growth, right? And that's when, that's this idea that I shared earlier with you. I said, what, you know, is it possible for two businesses to seemingly look very, very similar from the outside, but to be completely different in, in the value of the business? Well, that's, there's, a, there's a science called equity capitalization that we bring to businesses to make sure that that, 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 that $200,000 net per year business is worth you know, a million dollars instead of being worth $300,000, right? Right, right, right. So, right. so here's, the, here's, the, here's the secret sauce behind what I just told you, okay? When you look at your business, you have these seven layers. And then you can identify quickly where is the problem in your business? And this is what I said at the beginning in my elevator, elevator speech. I said, the problem is that you do have sales experts out there. You do have accountants out there. You do have leadership experts. You do have a slew of experts out there. And they're going to come to you and they're going to say, your problem is in leadership. But is it really in leadership? Or is it because that guy's only tool is leadership management? Right? Or maybe you do have a problem somewhere else. And then the biggest challenge is that most business owners think they know where the problem lies, but they don't know. Like I could pretty much tell you that about 90% of business owners out there do not know where the real problem in their business is. They think it's one of these seven areas, but it's never that area. So what we go, what we go, and that's how we turn business around like this, because we identify the actual crux, the actual point where there's a weakness in the business and we fix it and the business thrives. Sometimes they've been trying to fix another problem for 15 years. The guy is convinced that his problem is leadership. And he's been building teams and trying to do everything and the business is not going anywhere. But then we find out that it's not his problem. His problem is that he sells for too low, his profit margins are too small, and he, he's always running after his tail trying to catch up. And then we, we help him improve on the, on the profitability of the business and the business takes off. Right? Yeah. So Now, one thing that did come up, I was, I was taking notes here while you were going through those seven, and uh, hopefully I could read my writing later, but fortunately we've got record going. But Marco, one of the things that I did see, you just mentioned, you mentioned leadership really in two, at least two of the steps, maybe more. And then you said most people think it's leadership. I've always had this theory. I do a, a fair amount of work in that area also. 
I've had this theory that we are throwing around the word leadership a little too much. It's watering it down. There's so much out there right now, and there's leadership coaches. I'm one, you're, you know, and what are your thoughts on that? And, and then I've got a follow-up to that that is related to the times that we're in. So talk a little bit about just the general state of leadership, because it's my belief. I mean, I see people talking about it and doing seminars and things, and I kind of peel back a little bit of the layer to kind of see their experience. And, you know, I just kind of question it. And people may question it with us, too. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. So... I'm going to tell you one of my secrets. This is, this is one of my another secret, another, another secret. secret. <laughs> Most of business is not scientific. It is heuristic. Right. Mm. And most people don't understand the term heuristic. So if you're watching this, go look up the word heuristic, H E U R I S T I C. A heuristic is a, is a model that may not be the most efficient model, but it's a model that most of the time gets you the result that you want to get. Okay? So let's say you have on the one hand, you have something scientific. On the other hand, you have something heuristic. Okay? The problem is that most business owners are delusional. They think that business is scientific. So they're either looking for a science out there or trying to prove that it's scientific. And, and they're working really hard, spending a lot of money just to try to convince themselves that you know, if I can just apply the right model, I'm going to get the results. It doesn't work like that. Okay? So let me prove it to you. Let's talk about leadership, okay? Because I use this concept of heuristic in everything I do. When it comes to let's when it comes to, to leadership, if you go and interview employees and you start talking about who's a good leader, who, who's not a good leader, and you point out to this guy and you say, What do you think of this guy? Is he a good leader or a bad leader? This is gonna be a good leader. Okay. Why? And then what you're gonna find is this is what the, this is what they're gonna say. They're gonna say he's a good leader because he listens to me, he he bring, he he coaches me, he gives me advice. Right? You see how simple that is, right? And if you say, what is not a good leader? Oh, this guy is a bad leader. Okay, why? He never listens to me. He does whatever he wants. He doesn't care about me. Okay, so you understand how simple that is, right? So that's a heuristic. Leadership comes down to this concept of pull versus pull management. It's that simple, right? The people who do, who use push management all the time tend to be really bad leaders, okay? And they may be able to actually achieve results in, in a crisis, but nobody is behind them. Their team hates them and nobody actually is willing to go to battle with them. The guy who's a pool leader who actually is always asking questions, always listening, always trying to do the best to to make sure that his business is going to be doing much better is usually he's got the respect of his team and can actually maneuver his team pretty much anywhere, right? And if you're able to manage your team and if you can actually manage information, there's not much that you cannot do in a business, okay? So leadership is extremely important in that concept. So what I always say is this, the best idea of leadership is something that I learned when I was in college called situational leadership. It's this ability to understand that there's forces at play, that most of the time you need to use a model. And I'm simplifying it. You know, if you're a leadership expert, you understand I'm simplifying it to the, the bare bones here. But you can literally define leadership into these two, pull and push. So you need to adopt most of the time, you need to have a pull leadership model. And in terms of crisis, 
Then you go for a push leadership. And now you have a team that's actually going to respect you. And they're going to say, okay, we're in a crisis. So we're going to listen to this guy. But if you are always using what's called autocratic leadership or directive leadership, even in a crisis, nobody's going to listen to you, right? Because, because you're elevating the cortisol level of your, of your staff so much, your team so much, they're always under stress and you're, you're always operating at the, at the, at the breaking point because, because of who you are. So you simply have to change that. You, you shift from being a push manager to a pull manager. Very simple. Make sense? Right. Yeah, and don't you think with uh, what we discussed at the beginning of the podcast with the current state of where we are in the economy, the world, that the difference between effective and not effective leadership, management, all of those, it's going to be magnified because you just mentioned crisis. You mentioned when things get tough and, and things are about to be, if they're not already, they're about to be tough for most organizations, correct? Yeah, yeah. You see... Business is a lot more simpler than running a country, right? Because we know what result we are trying to accomplish. Right? We know, we know what results. I mean, the, you, you, you hone in, you, you know, as a business owner, you need to have what I call key issues. You know, what, what are you trying to overcome in your business? You need to have three or four key issues. You know, that's what you hone in. And you say, this is what we're going to do. Running a society is a bit different, okay? There's a lot of things at play. You know, like right now, we want people to be safe and we would love for economies to thrive. Well, these two things are clashing one another. And that's the biggest challenge that we're facing right now, right? right. So you see states like I was, with, I was on a call with one of my clients in Singapore yesterday. Well, Singapore was, a, was being applauded at first because they allowed people to, to, to roam freely. And they were like, you know, this is not going to be a big deal. We're not going to let people in the country. Well, right now, it's basically martial law in Singapore, okay? Because, because they allow people to roam freely for so much. Now you can't even get out of your house. If you get out of your house, it's a $500 fee if they see you somewhere, unless you're going to the grocery store. Basically, the only place you can go is a grocery store right now, right? So, so how do we, so what, that's why at the beginning of this interview, I said leaders are doing their best. They're trying to, to deal with two impossible situations. You know, they want everybody to be safe, nobody to die, ideally, right? And the, for the economy to thrive. We know we're not going to be able to achieve full thriving economy. And we know that some people are going to die. So how do we mitigate that? Man, everybody's using a different model right now to try to mitigate that. Yeah. So, so and we'll see a lot of that. And, you know, I don't think we can solve that here. But that, every, everything we've discussed at this point is so rich. And I'm looking at my, my, my time here. And there's a few things that I wanted to, to cover with you. So I'm going to maybe hit these a little bit quicker. As we start wrapping up, I usually I usually have multiple uh, wrap ups. I'm kind of like Elvis Presley. I'm going to have I'm going to I'm going to have about three or four curtain calls here with you. So we're going to do that. Um, I always like to people that have experience in Silicon Valley. I always like to just ask them. We've had some people on the podcast that that have been there all their lives that have done some things. I'm originally from the deep south in the Atlanta. I've, I've done some work with startups in some of the startup communities in Austin, Atlanta, and other parts. But the culture in that part of the world is very different than many others. And, and I don't know that we all understand those differences that have not immersed ourselves in it. Can you just, in a few sentences, tell us, you know, some of the good, maybe even some of the bad, the culture, some of the things you've seen in that part of the world? 
So very quickly, um, when I moved there in 2001, Silicon Valley was at the center of the world, right? I mean, it was, it was basically the center of the world. And I'm going to tell you why. You had three things that were converging. You had some of the smartest people wanted to go to those, those schools. We have some of the best schools in the country between Berkeley, Stanford, UCSF. You have some of the best schools in the country. And those schools are attracting some of the, the smartest people from around the world, number one. Number two, all the cash of the world was actually being represented there. There's not a single fund that was not there trying to actually invest in technology. Okay, so, I mean, all the cash of the world, all they was interested in that. So we had all the cash in the world. But the most important thing is this third thing. Culturally, we had this concept of, of uh, open space, op uh, open, um, what do you call that? Um, you know, when you share freely, uh, open source, this idea of open source, okay? This idea of open source, that's, that's what was leading all of this. You could literally go to downtown, you could go downtown to pa downtown Palo Alto, you go to Phil's coffee shop. I used to do it all the time. And then I would be sitting at Phil's coffee shop and trying, just listening to the kids around me. You know, two kids from Stanford sitting down there. And this is how the, the discussion would go. One would be like, hey, dude, I've been thinking about this. You know, this is what I've been thinking about. This is really cool, right? And then throwing it on the table. And then this other guy would be like, yeah, you know what? I've been thinking about this. And then throwing this on the table. Right. And then within 15, 20 minutes, now you have a bunch of people and they've, they've, they've created a solution because they're, they're collaborating in this open source mentality, right? Now, if you go to, I'm from Montreal, Canada. I'm going to use Montreal as a different example. In Montreal, Canada, and then I'm not trying to single out Montreal. That's kind of the way it is in most of the world. This is the approach. What do you have? What do you have? I don't know. What do you have? <laughs> well, I've got this, right? I've got this. What do you have, right? People are showing just a little bit. Oh, not too much. Because if I, I don't want to share too much, because if I share too much, you're going to steal my idea. This, this concept didn't exist in the Silicon Valley in the early 2000s, right? It was just this, let's collaborate and let's change the world. It was such a dynamic approach. Everybody wanted to be, to be the next, um, the next uh, Yahoo at the time or the next Google, and they were just trying to do it. Now, regrettably, this has changed a lot over the last 20 years. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's not like that that much anymore. Yeah, you still have some remnants of that, but it's not like that as much as it used to be anymore. Now, the cost of living in the Silicon Valley has exploded. So the kids now, when they graduate, they go to they go to uh, to Phil's Coffee, and they're like, "Man, I need a job now. I need to make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, otherwise, I'm not going to be able to make my rent next month." Right? So it's this. It's a completely, completely different mentality now. It's a it's a mentality of mentality of entitlement. We have no choice. We, we need to make money right now. We can't be fancy and trying to reinvent the world. So, and I had to leave the Silicon Valley to see what I'm just telling you. Because I still thought until about a couple of years ago. And I, was, I had a meeting with a friend of mine. Her name is um, uh, Randy Zuckerberg. She's Mark Zuckerberg's brother, uh, sister. Right? She's Mark's sister. And I was telling her about that. We were talking. And I was very excited. I said, you know, what do you like about the Silicon Valley? And and then she's the one who said, you know, you know why, Marco, I actually left. She lives in, she lives in New York. So do you know why I left the Silicon Valley? Because of this mentality. There's, there's been a shift. This, um, there's been a shift in, in the mentality in the Silicon Valley. And then yeah. she was very happy to help Mark start Facebook. But after a few years, she's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just, uh, that's I'm just it, that's so interesting that you just brought that up because on my notes, 
when I went to do some research and I was reading some articles you wrote, I wrote down Randy Zuckerberg with a question mark right after the question I just asked you about Silicon Valley. And the reason I brought that up, and so I'm glad, I'm glad you, you, you did, is because that name and that company has obviously become huge. And in many ways, uh, I mean, obviously, Mark, Randy is, is doing a lot of things, but I, I want you, I, I'll say it this way. There's been a lot of negative light sh- shown on that last name, Zuckerberg. And because I know you have relationship, not media or not second, third, fourth, whatever hand stories, you have relationship. I wanted to allow someone in a sentence or two to shine some positive light on on that name Zuckerberg. If it's just Randy, that's fine. I think you probably have interacted with Mark also. But but because that that company in many ways has changed our world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it is so easy, man. You know, when you're at the bottom to throw rocks at the people at the top, it's so easy. Uh, I think Mark and and Randy are very different. I interacted with Randy a lot more. Uh, You know, I've I've shared the stage with Randy many, many different times. I hung out with her. I mean, she's an amazing woman. She's an artist at heart. She's this beautiful, beautiful person, right? Um, I've interacted with Mark, but a lot less. And Mark is is more of an introvert. He's more of a very, he's very honing. Randy is like this. Mark is like this, right? So, but this is one thing that a lot of people don't know. If you're watching this live right now, that's because of Randy Zuckerberg. She's the one who invented, she invented Facebook Live. Oh, and, thank, you. Uh, thank you, Randy. We appreciate that. Yeah, she, she invented that. So I think these, I mean, I think these two have done, they've changed the world, you know, you know, the, their parents were, must have been amazing people. I know that I think Mr. Zuckerberg is a dentist. I think that's what she said. He was a dentist. They're very smart people. These kids grew up in a very smart environment. You know, their parents were intellectuals. And they, they empowered them. They, uh, one thing that they, they both have in common is this, this knowledge, this knowingness, this, this inner confidence in themselves. You know, when you meet the Zuckerbergs, they're so confident. You know what? That's why Mark left uh, Harvard when he, when, you know, he's like, I don't care about freaking degree. I'm going to become successful no matter what. Like they have this, this infused knowledge that everything is possible. And, uh, you know, Randy actually appeared in a, in a show on, um, she's a singer and she, she was in, um, I don't remember the play, but on uh, Times Square, you know, uh, in, in, in Broadway, New York City. Broadway. Uh, Broadway. Or, Broadway. Yeah. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. She was actually in a play in Broadway. I mean, you know, you go from starting one of the most successful companies in the world to being in a play in Broadway. It's basically like Michael Jordan being a superstar in basketball and also playing baseball, you know, and being really good at baseball as well. That's what the Zuckerbergs <laughs> are. They're just like, they're just amazing people. And whatever they focus on, they're trailblazers, you know, so... Um, so, so they're not the evil just, empire that a lot of not people evil. paint them out to be to take over the world. And <laughs> no, no, no. You know, and I, I don't want to get into politics or anything like that. But I watched a little bit of what when Mark was actually uh, when he was in Washington, he was commenting on everything. The truth is, I think this this grew so fast that he lost touch with things. You know, if you run if if you run just a small business, I told you, you know, there's only so many balls that you can juggle with. Imagine running Facebook and exploding at the rate that it actually has exploded. Now, I'm not trying to excuse him. I'm not trying to excuse him. Yeah. Uh, because 
I think as a leader, you still have to make sure that you don't make mistakes like this. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, he's just a human being. I, I rewatched an interview recently with uh, Bill Gates also. When Bill Gates was being brought in front of Congress and they were saying in the 1990s, I think, that he ran a monopoly and then that it was uh, an unfair monopoly. And he was being interviewed and he said, I was way too cocky. I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, man, Congress is not going to come and mingle in my business. Well, guess what, Bill Gates? Yes, they will. If they don't like you, if you're too cocky, they will. And they tried. And they, and they said, you know, Microsoft is a monopoly. And they did everything they could to break down Microsoft. And then when he realized, oh, my God, they're going to break down my company, he came back. And then the second time around, I think they had to go back to court. And he was able to re reverse the engine and say, okay, we're going to be able to run our business independently if we do this and that. But they're human beings. You know, they're just human beings. And, and they're very geeky. Mark and Bill have one thing in common. They're both extremely geeky, meaning that they would much rather be in front of a computer than to be in front of human beings. So they're not, they're not the kind to interact with human beings. And they're almost like socially awkward, right? And uh, so they don't, they yeah. don't understand these things. That's good. Thank, thank you for sharing that. That's a, that's a good first encore to, to move to our next. Because I, I just, one of the things that I really want to do with this podcast, when we've got someone who's got the breadth that you have, is to stretch people's minds and think beyond the paradigms that they currently have. And I believe that a lot of things you've discussed have done that. But I think that last little bit will, will go a long way. So thank you for that. A couple of, couple other quick things that I want to bring up. I like to ask people that are high achievers or people that have obtained certain levels of success. And I know all of us are a work in progress, but what are some either habits, routines, daily things that you do to be able to get things done and to just stay sharp? And even I'll ask it even more, especially in the times we're in where there's a lot of things going on around us what do you do, Marco, just to stay sharp and on top of it? Or if you don't, let us know that too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm going to try to summarize it, okay? Good. It's awareness. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to develop more and more awareness, okay? I haven't focused on anything business-related in a long, long time. And what do I mean by awareness? I'm trying to be more aware of my body, trying to be more aware of my mind. And I've, I've realized over the years that, um, there's little things that I do that completely, completely affect everything I do. Like, I know it sounds very simple, but making my bed. You know, we're busy, both my fiance and I, very busy professionals. And the truth is, especially right now, right? I mean, we're fortunate enough to have someone who usually comes here and cleans. But because of this coronavirus, she hasn't been here in a long time. So, I mean, we're both, you know, organizing is not our focus. So now there's, our place is very disorganized. But at least I know I can go to the bedroom and the bedroom is always organized, right? Because mm -hmm. we make, when we wake up in the morning, first thing we do is we make the bed, okay? And it sounds really simple, but it affects my mind because a confused environment creates confusion in your mind, okay? So I'm very aware of that. And uh, I, tr I try to remove confusion as much as possible in everything I do, okay? Number one. Number two, from, from a physical perspective as well. Um, you know, I've actually, I've, 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 anytime I have a chance to work with a maverick health expert, I'm always interested, right? Um, I think we, there's two types 
of healthcare out there, right? One is what we call, what most people call healthcare should actually be called sick care, right? Because I want to go see a doctor when I'm sick. I want to go see a doctor if I'm breaking a bone, okay? So if, I'm, if something happens to me, so it's called, I should, we should call it sick, sick care. But there's a, a slew of, of health professionals out there that are in the healthcare world. And those are the people that I like to interact with. And then they teach me about hormones and how my hormones actually affect my body and how if I eat this before that or if I take this supplement and that supplement. And so I'm very, very keen. I'm extremely aware of how my body reacts because I'm, I'm always looking for ways to have more energy because there are days like right now, man, it's, it's insane. My days are very long right now. I'm working around the clock. So how do I manage my energy? So if you're watching this and you think that managing your energy is about four coffees during the day and two scotch at night, you haven't figured it out, right? There's, there are ways to manage your energy without having to use uh, a stimulants and depressants. So, but most people have never really have any focus on that. So depending on what you eat, how you eat, when you eat it, and so on and so forth. So you, those are my a, focus. Do you, have a, do you have a unique diet I'm, that you just kind of made me want to sidebar before I started wrapping up here? I, I, we monitor and watch what we eat. I do have a little bit of coffee. I intermittent fast. I do like a sip of scotch every once in a while. I don't usually do two, but I do a sip of scotch. <laughs> so um, are, are you doing a, any type of unique diet uh, that you would be willing to share? So I'm going to tell you, I have a friend, his name is Eric Edmeads. If you're, if people are looking for the best diet, Eric spent his life looking for the best diet. Okay. And here's what he understood. He understood that, see, Eric was born in South Africa. He grew up in Canada like me, but he was born in South Africa. So he goes to South Africa all the time. And one day he was asking himself this question. Giraffes have a diet. Monkeys have a diet. Rhinos have a diet. Elephants have a diet. What about human beings? What's the diet of human beings? Do we have a diet? What's this? What are we supposed to eat? And he looked into this. So if you're watching this and you want to find out more, it's a plug. I don't get anything from that, but go to getwildfit.com. Getwildfit.com. That's Eric's website. And he's a world-class educator in nutrition. And what you're going to find out is that human beings do not have one diet, but we have a seasonal diet. Yeah. And once you understand that, that you can actually shift your diet according to seasons, that when you eat certain things, your body thinks that you are in a certain season. The problem is that now with the advancements in, in agriculture and food preservation, we have access to all foods all the time. So you can eat blueberries 12 months a year now, right? So, and that's when, if you remember when you and I were kids, you couldn't eat blueberries in January. They didn't exist, mm -hmm. right? It's just in the last 10 or 15 years that we've been yeah. able to eat blueberries and, and strawberries in the middle that's, of the That's awesome. Winter. Maybe I'll get you to introduce me to Eric. I can get him on the podcast. I'd love to have, ask him some questions. So thank you. How do people, we could talk about so many things, Marco, and it's been such a blessing. I'm so thankful that we were connected. That's the beauty of social media. I think on LinkedIn, I don't know if I connected with you or you with me, but anyway, how can people connect with you? Where would you like them to go? Uh, what if they wanted to reach out to you, even if they might be interested in some of the business or your funds? We've got people that I know have companies that may want to really talk to you. So how do they connect yeah, with you? Yeah. So I'm very easy to find. Okay, If you, you just Google my name, Marco Robert, you'll find me everywhere. But here's somebody actually taught me this a long time ago. I, this is the thing. 
I basically own Marco Twitter, Marco LinkedIn, Marco, you know, I own all of these. So you, you, you want to, you want to connect with me on Twitter, go to MarcoTwitter.com. You go, you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, go to MarcoLinkedIn.com. You want, you know, so Instagram, MarcoInstagram.com. Uh, my main website is MarcoRobert.com. Um, I have, you, you can also find me at MeetMarcoRobert.com. One of the things I want to say is, is if people are watching this and it's still the crisis, right now what we're doing is we are actually helping freely, 100% free. We're not even asking for people's name. We're helping businesses out there thrive during this crisis. So I created a couple websites and depending on when you look at it, it's either one or the other that's, that's going to be live. It's thecovidrecovery.com or thecovid19recovery.com. Right? So those two websites, one of them is, is always up. And uh, what we're doing is we're inviting people through those websites to come and join us inside of a Facebook group. And then what we're doing is we're sharing with them a lot of tricks, 100% for free. The training lasts more than 10 days. And we go over methods and things and some of the stuff that you and I talked here, but way, way, way more um, to make sure that people have the tools and to make sure that people understand what needs to happen in order to, to make a business successful. You know, the $10,000 that the government was giving you, now it's actually less than 10,000. It's a thousand per employees. That's only going to go so far, right? You said something, probably the most important thing, thing you said, Tim, is everything you're telling me, Marco, is applicable beyond this crisis. And that's 100% true. So what I'm doing in this training is I'm teaching people the staples what do you need to do? Who do you need to be? How do you need to interact right now to make sure that you, you don't kill your business, that you survive this crisis, but also that you thrive beyond the crisis. So yeah, that's it's, good. Um, yeah. Thank, thank you for that. And you know, one of the things that I love seeing this is how people are reaching out and giving. I, I'm, I'm doing similar. I'm, I'm giving my email to people and say, if anyone needs to communicate, if I could work it into my calendar, I will get online with you and we'll do coaching. But I love this community you're creating. So uh, I want to make sure we'll include that in all of the notes and how people can reach you. Uh, and, and, and even beyond, if, you know, let's just say we totally rebound. It's a V-shaped recovery and everything's awesome by the time this is released. I don't necessarily think that but uh i want people to connect there so excellent what's next for you marco either either what are you about to have your next meal or what's next over the next 20 years for you what's next for you well the big thing happening right now is we're gonna have a baby you know i'm 50 years old and all my life it was just about building businesses 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 so my ex-wife and i we were more business partners than we were actually husband and wife i don't know if it's fair to say that but you know we built businesses together she was an amazing woman we built businesses together and in the last five years, I've been with this other amazing woman. And then we decided that it was, it was time to have a kid. So she just left. She just walked in front of me and she, she was waving at me like literally about one minute ago because she has an appointment. So she goes to, needs to go see her doctor because in the next month, the next few weeks, I'm going to become a, a father for the first time. So that takes a lot of my time. I'm super, super excited about that. Um, but also, you said something here and I think, that's probably one of the most important things that you said. You said, as leaders, we have a responsibility during these times. And I agree with that. So that's where most of my time is spent right now. And the analogy that I give people is this. When we go to war, right, um, the guy whose responsibility, responsibility is to hold the flag. 
he can get shot in the arm and he can get shot in the leg, but he needs to hold the flag because when the flag falls, the battle is over, right? And guys like you and me, Tim, we were, we are privileged because people around us have elevated us to that position. The influencers and the authorities in this world, we are the flag bearers. And our job is to make sure that the flag flies at whatever cost. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm making yeah. sure that the flag is flying, my friend. That's that is that is awesome. And I, if no one else has, thank you for doing that because these times are critical. And my 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 prayer, my belief, my expectation is that from what we're going through now, we are going to see light shining in so many places instead of some darkness. And so anyway, thank you for that. Last question. Title of this podcast is Seek, Go, Create. Marco, I always like to ask people, which one of those words jumps out at you and why? To me, it's the word create, man, because I think the essence of man is through creation. I think once you realize, once you really connect internally with this idea that you are born to be a creator, that you're not, you're not just a pawn on somebody else's game, that you are the creator of your own life and you are the creator of this world, then you realize when the moment that you realize that, that, that everything you are today, you created. And then everything you're going to be moving forward, you're going to create. In that moment, you have, you owe it to yourself to do everything you can to overcome yourself. You owe it to your community. You owe it to mankind to do everything you can to make yourself and make the world a better place to, through creation. So mm. I'm a big fan Man. of that word. That is so good. Marco, I am so blessed to meet you and have conversation with you and allow our listeners to hear you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Listeners, if you would like to continue the conversation, and I encourage you to, we welcome that. Go to seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com to comment on this episode, post or contact us. I will even go so far as if you do that, I will reach back out to Marco and have him participate in some of the communications. I can tell his heart, I know that he would. You can also find us and communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those places we are Seek Go Create. Just do a, do a search, Seek Go Create, you'll find us. Thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.